a couple of years ago, I uh, was looking for a book to read, and I ran across this, this title that, that intrigued me. The title of the book was Christian Atheist. And, and as I was looking at the title, I'm thinking, well, this sounds pretty interesting, right? I, I mean, this is going to give us two different perspectives. One's going to be on people who are followers of Christ, Christians. They believe in the existence of, of God. And, and the other is going to be about atheists and, and their views and where they come up with, with what it means to, to not believe in God. And so as a pastor, I thought, well, this would be a good book to read because it'll give me another perspective that I hadn't thought about before. Because those two, two words are, are actually very different, aren't they? Yin and yang, black and white, man and woman, redskins and cowboys. They were both watching from their, safe, their, their sofas today for the playoffs. But anyway, um, we won't talk about that this morning. Uh, but anyway, these are very, two very different words, and I expected it to be a, a conversation about two very different ideologies. But what I found out as I began to look at the book, though, it was actually all about me. See, the, the deal for, for many of us is that we say we believe in God, but we live our lives like it actually doesn't matter. This book had nothing to do with the idea between Christianity and atheism. It was all about people who say they follow Jesus and yet live their lives very differently. Gallup did a poll back in 2016, and they found that in America, 79% of the people who lived in America believe in God. Another 10% say they believe in something like God. And so they took those two totals together, and they said that 89% of the people who live in America believe in God. Think about that for a moment. If 89% of the people who live in America believe in God, do we really live that way? And so as we take a look at this series called Christian Atheists, we're going to ask ourselves some questions over the next few weeks. We say we believe in God, but. I believe in God, but I live my life differently. And I think as we begin a brand new year, there's nothing better for us to talk about as we think about who we are when it comes to following who Christ is. Now, let me say this. If you're a part of the 11% who do not believe in God, I want you to know this is a safe place for you to be, okay? This is a great place for you to be, to ask questions, to search out the answers that you have. Our prayer is that if you don't believe in God, if you are an atheist, that you'll find God being a part of this church. But I also believe there's a group of us who say we believe in God, but do we live that out? As Gary said a little bit earlier, uh, each week we're going to have a theme, and this particular one for this week is... I believe in God, but do I know God? See, we, we say we believe in God, but do we actually know who God is? Uh, there's a term that, uh, that we tend to call people who fall in this category, and it probably fits many of us, and I think it fits me sometimes too. It's cultural Christians. Cultural Christians. We say we believe in God, and so we, we do certain things to kind of fit that mold. We donate food. We volunteer at the soup kitchen because isn't that what people who follow Christ are supposed to do? And it makes us look good if we, we do that. Or we speak Christianese, right? We know the Christian words. We know the lingo, the vernacular. And so at the right time, we'll throw that out to somebody. And so they're like, oh, wow, you, you must go to church. Well, yes, I do. Because we speak Christianese. Or, or we, even, we even do things throughout the year that, that allows people to think that we know who God is. When we uh, planted a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, we did that before we moved here. We, um, one of the things you do when you plant a church is you send out marketing because you want critical mass your very first week. And so we sent out tens of thousands of postcards into the Chapel Hill community. 
One of the people, the families that showed up our very first week, he was an executive in one of the web companies there in the Triangle. And uh, we had them over for dinner not too long after we had planted the church or started the church. And we were talking about their life and who they were and their story. And, and he started to share about his faith. And he said, you know, I, I'm a, a folding chair Christian. I was like, what? I don't know that denomination. Can you explain that a little bit to me? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, we, we, I grew up Catholic. And he said, we would go to church two times a year, Christmas and Easter. And guess what? Christmas and Easter. They bring out the folding chair so everybody have a place to sit. And he says, so that's what we called ourselves in our house. We were folding chair Christians. Our faith didn't really mean a whole lot to us, but we would show up every once in a while just because we felt like that was something that we had to do. I think if we were really honest, probably many of us in the room kind of fit that, that idea, don't we? We say we believe in God, and yet we live our lives like it doesn't matter. Now, it may not be every aspect of life. Maybe there are certain parts of it. And again, over the next few weeks, we're going to hit a few of those parts as we look at this series, Christian Atheist. But even Jesus had issues with people who were cultural Christians. And so as we start today, what does it look like for us to really live this out, this faith out? Well, Jesus has some pretty harsh words for this particular group of cultural Christians in the book of Revelation. We'll get there in a second. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And in the beginning of the book of Revelation, we find that, that Jesus is connecting with these seven different churches, and really they've been church plants, and he's giving them feedback, giving them some things to think about. Six of these churches, he's for the most part positive with. And then he gives them some encouraging words at, at the end, but, but one church he goes off on. I mean, he doesn't hold anything back, and it's this church in the city called Laodicea. Let me give you a little background about this particular city. A uh, very wealthy city in western Turkey area. It was on this very important trade route from the east to the west, and so people would come through this particular city to go from place to place. Their big business was black wool. Uh, their sheep there had black wool, and so this was their big industry. Uh, this is how they became wealthy. They also became a, a banking commerce center. And so you have this very wealthy city there <clears throat> that has this amazing church. It was one of the best churches in that time, a very important church in Christendom, in the church planning that was happening in that moment. But then in 60 AD, a hur not a hurricane, a an earthquake came through and basically leveled this whole city. Now, a lot of times, if that would have happened back in the day, you would have just moved. Everybody would have left, gone somewhere else, started anew. But, but these people were wealthy, and they said, we, we really like it here. And so this group of wealthy people didn't ask for any kind of outside assistance, didn't go to the government. They rebuilt that city themselves. And it was an amazing, amazing city. It, it was known for the theater that was there, the stadiums that were there, the shopping malls. The public baths, which still to this day is weird to me, but they were really nice back in those days. They were known for their art. They were known for their sciences. Uh, they had the best medical school. They were known for their monuments. I mean, they rebuilt this incredible, beautiful city from the wealth that they had. And this, again, is an important place for Christianity at the time. However, Jesus jumps in and has some words for this particular group. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3, starting with verse 14. If you don't, 
We're going to put it up here on the screens. You can follow along on your Journey Church app or even on the back of your program this morning. Here's what Jesus says to this particular church. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I know your deeds. He doesn't say, I know what you believe. He doesn't say, I know what you say. He says, I know your deeds. I know what you do. I know the actions that you take in your life. But he says, but you say you follow me. You say you follow me, but you live your life very differently. Your actions speak otherwise to what you say that you believe. And then he uses these two two thermometer type things, these gauges. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. He's like, you got to pick. You got to be cold or you have to be hot. Now, again, why does Jesus use these words with this group of people here in this particular church? Well, like I said, this was a very important church in that time with this church planning movement that was happening. And yet as they started, they were they were excited. They were connected to God. There was a relationship with Jesus. But things started to change. They got caught up in the world around them. They got caught up in the wealth that was there. They got caught up in the education, the materialism. And so what did they do? Because they were caught up in that, they forgot about God. So Jesus comes back, verse 16, and says this to them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Even though it's a wealthy city, they had to bring water in from the outside for the city to function. And so they had an aqueduct system in place. They brought water, water in from a, a hot spring and a cold spring. And as they would bring the water in, it would actually meet together to come into the city. And so if you take hot water and cold water and you put those two together, you have lukewarm water. And so in this moment, Jesus is saying something they understand, right? This is lukewarm. You are lukewarm. And for them, they would understand that water coming out of that system every time they would drink it would be lukewarm. But he also says something else. He says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. That word spit there, when we think about spit, it's kind of like, you know, that kind of thing. It's actually more than that. It means that Greek word is to spew. It's to vomit. Like Jesus is like, I just want to get rid of you. I want to expel you from me because, because you're lukewarm. One of the tricks I like to play on my kids sometimes is they'll say, hey, Dad, I'm thirsty. You know, they've been out running or whatever. Like, hey, you want me to get you some water? Yeah, that'd be great. And so I'll go to the, the cabinet and I'll get a glass out and I'll turn the water on and I'll put warm water in it. And they're sweaty and they're hot. And so I'll give them that, that warm water. Some of you act like that's a mean thing to do. But I'll give them that warm water and I'll just watch their faces because they're so thirsty. And they'll take that first big squig. And, and you know what I see? I see laughter on their face, but then I see anger at the same time, right? I mean, they're angry, they're mad, they're laughing. And the first thing they do is spit the water out. Now, then they chase me around the house and then I go into a sermon about Revelation chapter 3 and explain to them why this is important. But that's what we do, right? If you've ever had warm water before, it's horrible. 
Have you ever gone somewhere like, hey, um, I'd like a glass of lukewarm water, that'd be great. Nobody asked for that. You either ask for cold water or you ask for hot water because you're going to make tea or something. So these people in this church, they understand what Jesus is talking about when he uses that, that term, lukewarm. And he's saying to them, just like you drinking lukewarm water, you're going to spit it out? You're going to spew it out? That's the way I feel about you. And the reason is you've forgotten. You've forgotten about your first love. You've forgotten about me. You've forgotten about God. And I don't know about you, but those sound like some great words of encouragement for this particular church there in Laodicea. I think this leads us to this question that you and I have to ask ourselves. If we say we believe in God, and God's important to us, we believe in the existence of God, we, we follow Jesus, then, then shouldn't we live our lives like it matters? Shouldn't we get to a place where we truly know who God is? Here's a group of people who said, I believe in God, but they had forgotten who God was. They didn't know God anymore. They were living this lukewarm life, and Jesus says you can't do that. you got to choose. So how is it that you and I can get to a place where we know God? How can we know who God is? Well, I think there are parallels between human relationships and a God relationship. In fact, I want to use a, a parallel that, that maybe you're familiar with, hopefully you are, uh, the dating world, right? Because dating, I think, is a lot of the, the way that we interact with God, how we get to beginning point to, to really knowing God. And, and to help us think through this, I thought I'd share with you how I met my wife, Kara. Uh, <clears throat> we, were, um, we were both students at Milligan College. I had gone to Wake Forest for a while, taken a, a break, uh, worked in the business world for a little bit, and then decided to, to go into ministry and to study theology and ministry. And so I went to Milligan College, which is in the eastern part of, of Tennessee. And um, when I got there, I, I started to build some, some new friendships. And about three or four weeks in, this uh, buddy of mine, Mark, came up to me. He's like, hey, have you met Kara Craven? I'm like, no, I haven't, I haven't met any girl named Kara Craven yet. He's like, oh, you need to meet her. She's sweet. She's nice. She's attractive. I think you guys would get along. I'm like, hey, Mark, that sounds great. You know, maybe it'll happen someday. A couple days later, Mark sees me again. Hey, have you met Kara? I'm like, no. He gives me some more information on her. And he, he does this for like three weeks in a row. Finally, I was like, dude, stop. I haven't met her. I don't know who she is. If you want to make it happen, that would be great. Introduce her. It's like, well, I've been trying to, but she's been busy and you've been busy, so we haven't really been able to do that. I'm like, oh, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. About a week after I finally uh, got upset with him and told him to stop doing that, um, I'm walking to the library with uh, another lady that I was fond of at the time and um, so we're walking to the library this other young lady comes walking out of the library and my friend says hey this is Kara Craven Kara I want you to meet Chad and so we shook hands and that was the first time that we met now my wife Kara's now my wife of course and she thinks this is strange but I can remember everything about her that day all right she again she thinks it's weird she had, uh, her hair was basically white. She was tan. Uh, come to find out later, she had been a lifeguard for the whole summer before, and that's why her hair was white and she was tan uh, up here in Alexandria somewhere. My wife is actually from here, graduated from, from Hayfield. So um, that's the connection we have back up in this area. But, um, but she was tan, white hair. Uh, she was wearing a, a burgundy blouse, white shorts, white flip-flops. She was carrying an umbrella because it, a rainstorm had just come through. And then she had her, her backpack on one arm because back in the day, you didn't put it on both arms, did you? You remember that? 
You were a nerd if you did that. You carried it on the one arm. Now it's the opposite. You got to carry it on both arms and not just one arm. Some of you are like, I didn't know that was a thing back in the day. It was. But anyway, um, but I remember everything about that day. And then I went back to the dorm. I'm like, Mark, I met Kara. He was like, oh, that's great. You guys talking? I said, yeah, yeah, we were talking. The girl was kind of fond of us. She was there, too. It was a little awkward. But anyway, so we, we, we chatted for a little bit. I didn't see Kara the rest of that semester. She, I come out, again, to come find out later, she had gotten sick and come back up here to finish off the semester. But, um, but when school started back in the spring, I was going to dinner one night at the cafeteria, and there was a big old lobby area. And when I walked in, there was Kara again. Now, this is where the story gets a little different between if you're talking to me or to Kara. The <laughs> story I tell is I walked in, and she saw me, and again, I still remember what she was wearing that day. Again, I know it's kind of strange, but she came running over to me and put her arms around me and said, hey, how are you doing? Gave me a big old hug. The story she tells is it was me that ran over to her and then threw my arms around and said, you know, I'll let you figure out which one of us you, you believe. But anyway, um, from that moment, we started hanging out. That other girl was gone by the way but anyway um we started hanging out we started spending time together we started flirting a little bit of course and then finally we went out on our first date went to a movie and said what do you want to see she said i don't care i said i don't care so we ended up seeing the relic which i'd never recommend you watch that movie anytime but it's a scary movie and i don't know why we did that but we went to that movie went to to uh dairy queen afterwards we had blizzards together and you're not gonna believe me when i tell you this we went to a hospital parking lot we sat in the parking lot and we actually talked for two hours okay Nothing else, no kissing, no nothing. We just, we actually did. We sat and we talked. This was the, the beginning point of this relationship with her. And the funny part is that's almost 20 years from today that that first took place. See, this is how we know people, right? When it comes to dating, you don't see somebody for the first time and say, oh, great, here's the ring, I'd like to marry you. We don't do that. And we don't just say, hey, I'm in love with somebody if all we got is a reputation in there. No, it's, it's this bond, this relationship that builds over time. You've got that first date, and maybe there's a second date, and a twelfth date. And finally, at some point in time, you, you say, okay, you're the person I would spend my life with. And so there's this process that happens to know that person. And you know what? Many times it's just like that when it comes to God. It takes time for us to get to know God and connect with God. But, but we are called into that relationship. But how do we get to that place? What does it look like us, for us to move from, from where we are to truly and really know who God is? Well, I'm going to share with you this morning three, three things. Again, it's on your, your program there. You can follow along. Three ways that people know God. And I say, think sometimes this is sort of the process or the path that we go on to know God. And for others of us, it's just a place that we're stuck. Okay? Here are the three things that I think that leads us to really knowing God. The first one is that we know God by reputation. And many times before we date somebody, we've never met them, but we know their reputation because somebody's told us about them. Hey, I have this friend I want you to meet. Hey, I have this coworker I think you would, you would connect with. And so they tell us a little bit about their story. And so we know them by reputation. I think that's true when it comes to God. Many people, you know, 89% say they believe in God, but I think a lot of that knowledge of God is just by a reputation of God. Especially in our world today, uh, I'm not knocking media or anything of that sort, but many times people know God by what they see on TV or they read on Facebook or they read an article uh, in the newspaper. And so that's how they know God. And, and sadly, a lot of times people who are followers of Christ, everybody's kind of lumped into one big pile, right? 
even though we, we believe in Jesus, but there may be differences in that. Everybody gets piled up into this, this, one, big, this one big grouping. And so people who are far from God, when they read an article, they see something, here's their first thought. Well, that must be who God is. And so I know God by reputation, specifically of that group of people. And so a lot of us, a lot of people who say they believe in God, they know God only through that reputation. Or for others, and we talked about this back in our Christmas series, um, anything horrible and terrible that happens, we blame God for. So when there's a hurricane, a tornado, there's a massacre, there's killings, there's death, there's illness, whatever it may be, there's abuse, our first thought is to blame God. In that series, we said, well, hold up a second. There's a sinister force out there. There's the devil. There's Satan making things happen. And, and yet the, the devil's done a great job because the blame goes on God. And so then, again, people who are far from God or people who don't spend the time getting to know God, what do they do? They blame God. And so God is known by this reputation. And maybe for us in here today, that's the only way we know God. We know God by reputation. But there's another part to this. There's another group of people who know God by memories. We, we know God by memories. And a lot of times this has to go back into our, our church time growing up. Um, I think the United States continues to move forward and, and be more of a secular nation. And as we do that, what we will find is a lot of the memories that we have and the knowledge we have of God is connected back to our church experiences. Now, we may be pulling away from God as we get older, but... I'm guessing that most of us in this room attended church at some point in time as a kid. And so we know God through those memories. We know God through that church. We know God through the VBSs we went to and the Sunday schools and, and the people who taught us. And, and through, through a lot of times the sweaty pastor up on stage who had the handkerchief that he's pulling out every five seconds. As he, was, he was just bringing the heat every single week, right? And we remember what that was like. <clears throat> And never once did we walk out of the church thinking, I feel good about myself today. No, we, we feel like we've been torn down and that we're guilty and I'm a terrible person. And so our knowledge of God for, for many people comes from those memories that we have growing up in that environment. But it's more than that. It's more than knowing God by a reputation. It's more than knowing God, <clears throat> excuse me, by our, our memories. Because if you think about it, those are passive relationships. That's a passive relationship with God. And we're called to something bigger and deeper than that. See, I think we're called to know God intimately. We're called to know God intimately. Uh, when I think about that word intimate, uh, I think about our names. <clears throat> because what people call us gives us an idea of the relationship that we have with them. Uh, it never fails. I'll get a phone call from a phone salesman, and their first thing is, Mr. Simpson there? I'm like, Mr. Simpson is not. Mr. Simpkins is here. Mr. Simpson has his own TV show on the Fox Network, so if you want to talk to him, you can give him a call. If we go out to eat to a nice restaurant, which doesn't happen very often, but if we do that, and we go out somewhere to eat, and it's one of those places you got to leave your name, you know, hey, what's your last name? Simpkins. And so they'll call us, right? Simpkins, party of five, we've got your table ready. In the community... People will call me Pastor Chad, and I've told you that. I'm going to have to talk to Gary after today. You don't have to call me Pastor Chad. It's just Chad. That's who I am. That's my name. Pastor is what I do. But in the community, people say, hey, this is Pastor Chad. My close friends and my family members call me by my legal name, which is Chadwick. And I understand that. And they do it to be funny, and I, I get that. But 
They're allowed to do that. You guys are not, okay? We're not that close yet. <laughs> Give me another couple of years and maybe we'll get there. My kids call me dad. My wife calls me sweetie honey pie. She doesn't really call me that. That would be weird. <clears throat> she calls me honey or babe. Those are our names for each other. But you know why my kids and my wife are able to do that? Because there's an intimate connection that we have. My kids know me. There's not this passive relationship. There's, there's this active relationship with them. The same with my wife for 20 years. We've had this active, connected, intimate relationship. And so she has a right to call me that. Our names really show the intimacy that we have with people and the relationships that we have with others. But again, let's think about this for a moment when it comes to God. What's our relationship like with God? We say we believe in God, but do we know God intimately? Are we on a first name basis? Are we in this, this active relationship with God? Or is it a passive relationship that you and I have with God? Again, I, I find myself falling into this place too, that I sometimes have a passive relationship with God. And I, I forget that we are here to know God intimately. Because if we say we believe in God, then that's the relationship we are called to have with God. That's what our hearts should long for. It's the place that we, we should want to be. This intimate, active relationship with God. David writes in the book of Psalms, in fact, Psalm 63, he is on the run. He's running from, we're not sure if he's running from King Saul, because King Saul knows that he's been anointed king, is trying to get rid of him, or if he's be, being chased by his son Absalom, who is trying to kill him also to take over the kingdom. We're not sure which one it is, but whatever the case may be, David's on the run. And so as David's on the run, you can only imagine what's going through his, his mind, or at least what we think should be going through his mind. But, but listen to the words of this song that he writes, Psalm 63, 1 through 4. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Here's a guy who's on the run, who for us many times we would blame God for the situation we're in. And what do we find with David? He's showing us he doesn't have this, this passive relationship with God. He's got this active, intimate connection to God. And these words show us that. These aren't, I'm just sitting around waiting on you, God. These are, these are active words. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. My lips will glorify you. I'll praise you. I will lift up my hands. This isn't a guy who doesn't know God. David knows who God is. And he says, God, our connection, our relationship, it's real. It's honest. It's here. It's alive. It's intimate. For how many of us can we say the exact same thing? Again, think about the relationships we have. What kind of relationship do you desire with the people in your life, with your friends? Do you want to be a passive in your relationship or do you want it to be active? When you're dating, do you want it to be passive? Do you want it to be active? If you're married, is it fun having a passive relationship with your spouse or is it better when it's active? See, healthy human relationships, they're not passive, they're active. 
And when it comes to God, which is the most important relationship we should have in our life, man, that should be a relationship that is active every single day. Because if our relationship is active with God, we'll have that intimacy that I believe God desires for each one of us to have with God. If our human relationships that we desire and we have should be active, then what does it look like for us to have that with God? How do we know God? I'm going to give you a couple things real fast that you already know. You already know these things. It's a brand new year. Maybe this is just a reminder for us. How do we have an active, intimate relationship with God? How do we know God? Simple things, pray. And we talk about this a lot. This is church. But you know what? If you want to have an intimate connection with God, spend some time praying. Now, some of you are prayer warriors, man. You can pray for days, not eat, drink, or do anything. It's a gift God has given you. Others of us in here, it's kind of hard to do. And so you're trying to figure out, when do I do this? How do I do this? You know what? Just wake up in the morning and say a quick prayer. Hey, God, can we build this relationship today? Can we become more intimate? Can we connect? All right. Amen. All right. Spend a moment every day praying. Spend a moment every day reading scripture. Again, some of you can sit back and you can read a whole book of the Bible every single day. Others may be a couple of chapters. Still others are like, I'm just trying to read a verse. Do that. Who cares? Just spend the time doing that. Again, it's a way that we build this intimate connection with God. Now, again, as a staff in the church, we understand how hard that can be. And so we are beginning something tomorrow that we're inviting you to be a part of. If, uh, if you have Facebook, um, this is the only avenue we're using at this moment. We're working on that. But if you have Facebook, we'd love for you to like our Journey Church Facebook page. Monday through Friday, every single week, we are going to post a quick little devotion for the day. It'll go out by 6.30 a.m., so if you're like, well, I leave my house at 6.45, it'll be there. You can take a moment, go on Facebook, look at the Journey page. You can read quickly the devotion for that day, and then you're good to go. Here's the cool thing. Every single day, it's going to connect back to what we talk about on Sunday. So we're trying to build this, this moment, this momentum for each one of us where we're growing in our faith in amazing ways as a church. Because we know how hard it is can, can be to, to find time to pray and to read Scripture. We're trying to make it easy for all of us. And so that's one way that we can do that. Maybe you just do it on your own. That's totally fine too. But spend that time with God. Serve. Jump in. Volunteer. Over the next few weeks, this church is going to explode in size. I can promise you. We're going to need a lot of help, especially downstairs with our kids. Jump in and serve. But not only here, serve in your community. Serve where you live. Serve your neighbors. Serve the people you work with. You want to know God? Don't just go and donate some food. Don't just go and work in the soup kitchen once, once a year. No. Serve the people around you on a consistent basis, day in and day out. Be a part of what's happening here on Sundays. It's a great opportunity for that. We, we hope you don't feel guilty when you leave. We want you to feel refreshed and encouraged and motivated for the week ahead. Join us in our life groups. We're getting ready to make a big push for our life groups over the next few weeks. If you're not in a life group, man, it is a great place to build relationships with other people and with God. And so over the next few weeks, you may be tapped on the shoulder like, hey, you in a life group? Nope, okay, great. Our group meets here. We want you to show up, come be a part of that. If not, we're going to come pick you up, okay? So we're pushing our life group leaders and that. More information about that will come up this week. But there's so many ways that we can build this intimacy with God, and yet we, we get tired. And so as this brand new year begins, let's spend a few moments every day, every week, doing all that we can to fully know who God is. I believe in God, 
but do I know him? Here's the best part of this whole revelation story. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Even though Jesus comes in and says, you guys are lukewarm. You can't do that. You got to be hot or cold. He gets on to him, but do you notice what he does here? He's like, hey, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And I'm waiting. And I'm here for you to allow me to come in so that we can be intimate together and we can talk and we can eat together. And so this relationship can be different than it's ever been. That's the same invitation you and I have. That no matter where we are in our knowledge of God, whether it's a reputation, memories, God says, I'm here, I'm waiting, I'm not going anywhere. And maybe this year is the moment where you say, all right, I want to change this. I want and desire that intimate relationship with God. Because in the end, I want to be able to say, I believe in God, but I also know God. Today, as we take this communion together, this bread and this juice, and maybe for you, this is a moment you're asking that question. You know, I'm in that reputation memory place, and, and maybe today you just got to let that go. Or, or maybe this is a moment you say, hey, I'm going to continue and build this journey. And here are a few things that I'm going to do to get to that place. Maybe for others of us, we're already there. You've got this connection, this intimate relationship with, with God, with Jesus. And this is a reminder of that. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where you are. But my prayer is today that all of us would not only say we believe in God, but that we know God.